Welcome to the Green Lectionary Podcast, a production of Creation Justice Ministries. The Green Lectionary is a conversation on scripture through the lens of creation justice. My name is Derek Weston, and today we will be looking at text for the second Sunday in Lent. For this episode, I'm joined by Reverend Joshua Scott, pastor of Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and author of Bible Stories for Grownups, and Avery Davis Lamb, co-executive director of Creation Justice Ministries. Before we begin our episode, a quick plug for one of Creation Justice Ministries' other programs, Blue Theology. Blue Theology is a place where current science and marine biology meets a theology of creation justice. Each summer, we host youth groups to engage in experiential learning, service projects, and contemplative practice with God's marine creation. We have outposts in North Carolina, Newport Beach, California, and Texas City, Texas, and registration is open now. To learn more, go to www.bluetheology.com. Join us now as we look at Mark 9 through the lens of creation justice. All right. Our text for today is um, Mark 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So, where's creation in this passage? Well, kind of everywhere, right? It seems. I mean, this is a um, moment where they're outdoors. Uh, so, it, it happens in creation. And I, I just find it really interesting the way out, outdoors... They're in creation. Peter wants to build tabernacles, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. To to give them some shelter. And th- there's resistance there for Jesus. This is, no, no, we're, we're going to stay in this spot. We're, but we're, we're only going to stay here for a little while. There's more work to do. So it's just interesting that, for me, so much of everything that happens in the Jesus story happens outdoors, especially in Mark moving somewhere, going somewhere, engaging with people, places, water, beach, all of that is just replete, uh, the entire gospel uh, with creation themes. Yeah. Avery, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Um, well, they're on a mountain, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot, I mean, scholars have are mostly agreed that this is probably Mount Hermon, so, you know, it's good to name it. it. You know, deepens our placidness to say that this isn't just any any old mountain. This is a mountain that still exists today. I was looking it up yesterday and there's like a ski resort on the mountain now. <laughs> um, so they didn't get the tabernacles to, to be built, but they did get a ski resort. They did get a ski shower. Playing the long game. For sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, Elijah knows us like to ski. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so you know they're on this specific mountain in this specific place um josh i really appreciated your reflections on the dwellings that's not actually where my mind went but i think that's really wise 
I was, I couldn't help but think about the parallel with uh, Sukkot and the festival of booths and kind of that practice as kind of a practice of being one with creation, kind of using the gifts of creation to construct a shelter, you know, maybe it's all a branch, not sure exactly what, it, you know, what the, the plants around there, what would be used to create the structure, but um, the practice of understanding these as gifts that can be used as kind of a shrine to honor Elijah and Moses, but also to provide protection. Um, but you're right that Jesus' reaction, Jesus just kind of ignores them and says, that's all right. <laughs> and the, the cloud. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think the cloud is just a, an amazing image of the divine rupturing through creation mm -hmm. and the divine coming, you know, embodied in the form of creation as the cloud and the booming thunderous voice of God speaking out. Yeah, I was I was very much drawn to the idea of you know, how often do we see in scripture God appearing from a cloud, the voice of God coming from a cloud, God directing people through a cloud. Um and and you know, clouds are not a part of nature that I think we we think about a lot that we consider a lot but clouds are pretty key to us are thinking about nature and what's what's both going into and coming out of clouds um i i the, i'm kind of stuck on this uh avery and the ski resort thing um <laughs> like I, I i don't know if that's going to affect my reading of the scripture forever but but I, I i do kind of connect this with this idea of of that you you brought up josh of like they're out in creation and the the impulse is to let's do something that will kind of shield us from creation in a way even using creation to do that um, never really kind of thought about it that way, but I, I, I definitely see it. And again, the ski resort thing kind of in some, <laughs> in some ways amplifies that. Um, but it, you know, this is, this is such a, this is such a story where, you know, we're drawn to the supernatural aspects of it that again, I think being regrounded in the very natural, this is on a mountain a cloud comes, um, these very natural things. And, and in some ways, it feels like Jesus's response to Peter is like, Peter is like, hey, we have to actually get back to nature, not more, not more separate from it. Um, the cloud piece of that for me is, um, I'm now obsessed with it. Because if you think about how, I mean, in my mind, growing up, sort of the idea that if God were ever going to speak to us, that, that it would almost be like God rips open the sky and then mm -hmm. you see a, a big head, an old man with a beard who just has this booming voice. And what we actually get is not any of that. We get God speaking, but it's through creation. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not subverting creation. It's not going around saying, actually, I'm going to do my, I'm going to do this other thing. It's like, no, oh, there's a cloud. I'm going to use, I'm going to speak through the cloud. I'm going to engage through the cloud. Um, and I just find that really interesting that mm -hmm. you pointed out where all these times that clouds show up um, and they're sort of guiding, they're, they're giving direction. And that 
the way God actually does the thing God does, the way God imparts the message, the way God gives direction is not by subverting nature, abandoning nature and going around nature or to the theology I grew up with, escaping the world altogether. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. The theology I was raised with was very escapist. So the whole point of this is getting out of creation when the Bible is bookended by trees. <laughs> um, and there's just something about that, that God works within the good world that God has made. And I think that for me, there's also this piece of, well, God could never work through creation because there's something fundamentally bad, wrong and broken with creation. And actually there's not. Creation is a, is a fine medium. And of course, the, you know, the old saying, the medium is the message. Mm -hmm. um, that what you choose to use to speak, how you choose to convey a message is not something that you can really separate from the message. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really profound and beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I I was just thinking about, you know, why clouds? Why does God come in clouds? And I think it's it's interesting here that Jesus is depicted in, you know, his transfigured form in this brilliant, dazzling white, just clarity, clear, bright. And God comes as this mystery, this kind mm -hmm. of shrouded piece of creation. You know, there's not much more mysterious or shrouded than driving through fog, you know, literally driving mm -hmm. through a cloud <laughs> at night. But like God here is really kind of embodied mystery. Mm. I think it's interesting to think about God as incarnate in Christ and the ways that that provides clarity for how we live, but also the part of God that is, you know, divine mystery and comes mm. to us, not as you're saying, Josh, mm. in the parting of the skies, but actually comes to us in the cloud of unknowing itself. Mm. And something you just said, I think it's interesting to point out that the context of Mark's gospel is is very likely around just before, during, or just after Jerusalem fell to the Romans in 70 CE, and the temple was destroyed. And I think um, what people think is that there was there were uh, there were suddenly Christians who separated themselves from Judaism and they were doing their own thing. That's just not true. For the community of Mark. The people, whoever this person Mark was, that community would have been suffering through the end of their world in a way, because they still would have been practicing at the temple. And it's almost like what Mark is wrestling with in this story is the place where we experience the light of God has been torn down. Mm. Where now do we experience the light of God in the world? And it's through a human being, which the last time I checked, we're part of creation. Mm. And so it is uh, wrestling with how do we, how do we, where's God's light located now that the place we knew God's light could be experienced is gone. And Mark is saying it's, it's actually found in humans that that's where we find uh, the light of God, which I think is a really interesting, creative, brilliant um, bit of storytelling for, for Mark. Yeah. And I feel like that's, I feel like that's a perfect segue to the next question of how is God calling us to interact with creation? Um, I have some thoughts on that, but uh, I want to hear your thoughts first, um, because I feel like I feel like you were leading us somewhere. Uh, the two of you were leading us somewhere, um, somewhere good. I love the concept of a thin place. Mm. I think this comes from Celtic Christianity. This idea is that there are places in creation where the boundary between the spiritual and secular, I guess, spiritual and the non-spiritual 
is you know very thin as just a membrane and i think what we see here is is maybe read as a thin place or maybe it's seen as a puncturing of that membrane mm-hmm. and it's actually just the spiritual and creation are, are intermingled there and we can understand that as going deeper into creation and reveals the divine for us i've had the, i have those experiences all the time it's yeah, i love i have to have these mountaintop experiences right because either literally or figuratively because i can come face to face with what i see as god revealed in nature the other piece here that we haven't talked about yet are the presence of elijah and moses which i think further kind of reinforces this idea right that um i guess the um some of the Jews at during Mark's time believe that Moses alongside of Elijah um, ascended to heaven, you know, just didn't, didn't die, but was uh, directly ascended to heaven. Um, and so those who ascended to heaven are now present on earth, right? The boundary between heaven and earth is uh, negligible, right? They're here too. So I think for me, what, what, what's being asked of me is, um, to not be afraid to go to the mountaintop, mm. right? Of course, you know, there's plenty that is quotidian in the gospel and in the New Testament and, you know, reveling in the things that are are good and beautiful where we are. But also what I see here is, no, actually, we need time to sort of step away and climb the mountain or swim in the river to go to those places of, of discomfort either physical or spiritual discomfort, because I think there's a real chance that God is going to be revealed there. Hmm. That's, that's a spiritual technology in a way, if I'll use that term, a way of peeling back that membrane that separates the, sac- the sacred and the secular, peeling that back and realizing that membrane, is so, it's so much thinner than we think it is. And we just have to find where that is for us. Mm. where our Mount Hermon is. Mm. Love that. And and that really dovetails with the first thing I thought of, which was we're being invited to pay attention. And this is a story about getting these disciples' attention. Um, I don't think this experience, I don't think we're meant to see this as an experience for Jesus, where he goes up and he's like, wow, my clothes are really, really bright. Um, you know, and, and when the cloud descends and God speaks, um, God says, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him, (laughs) which is another way of saying, pay attention to him. And this reminded me of a story I haven't thought of in a long time, but I think, I can't remember where I heard it. It could be completely apocryphal, uh, but it's a story about the theologian, Karl Barth, who was in Switzerland where he taught. Um, on a streetcar, a, a person comes in and sits down beside him. It's a tourist to the city. He asks the guy, what are you hoping to see while you're here? He says, well, I would love to meet the theologian, Karl Barth. And he's sitting right next to him. And he says, do you know him? And, and Bart answers, well, do I know him? I give him a shave every morning. And the tourist <laughs> gets off the, tra- the streetcar, walking away, telling everybody he just met Karl Barth's barber. <laughs> um, now I have no idea if, uh, that could be totally apocryphal, it, it, but there's something about that, right? You're so close to the thing, which gets to, I mean, that there's this theme in Mark of failed discipleship. These disciples mm-hmm. keep bumping up. They, they sometimes get it right. Like 
Peter's going, you know, has proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah, but yet then tells him that his path is not the right path. And then in this moment, Jesus is being revealed to them, to this inner group of disciples. And Peter's first thing is, you know what? There's some lumber over here. I'm just going to start build like Peter, like snaps into survivor or naked and afraid mode. And like, he's starting Mm -hmm. to put stuff together when no, 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 pay attention, pay attention. And I think that's the invitation um, that I see coming through that I need coming through, um, which is don't like whatever moment you're in, feel the grass under your, you know, between your toes, take a deep breath, pay attention to the sunset, engage, smell the fresh air. There's something about all of that. Um, that creation is always trying to snap us back into this particular moment with mm-hmm. this in this good world, with this gift of breath. And um, we're over here trying to build shelters. Josh, I was really, um, really captivated by your bringing us back to the context. Uh, shout out to your next book. Um, <laughs> but um, which is quite good. Um, but thinking about the, the, the fall of the temple, right. And thinking about the experience of Moses and the prophet that the people would have had prior to this moment was in the temple and that the experience of the law and the prophets that people are going to have moving forward is not in the temple. And and in some ways you can almost see Peter's action here, if you're looking at it contextually, mm-hmm. as as a move to rebuild the temple. And and Jesus is saying to them, Nope, that's not how you're going to experience the law and the prophets anymore. You're going to experience it on a mountain. You're going to experience it on the voice through a cloud. You're going to experience it through through me. So you're going to experience the law and the prophets, but you're going to experience them through nature. And it's not going to be in a temple. It's not going to be through the tradition. It's not going to be through all of the artifice that we make. It's going to be through the good things that God has made. And I think that's, that's the interaction with creation. That's one of the ways that I, I, I hear us being called to interact with creation in this passage. And, and so that, that piece of, that piece of context, I think is, um incredibly helpful for us as we're understanding the scripture um and as we're thinking about where where the disciples might find themselves in this space uh, i think that's su- super helpful so then um and i think we've i think we've we've hit around this we've we've um danced around a little bit but then where is there a call for the church in this passage and in this understanding of the transfiguration, um, which, which is, you know, I think interestingly a passage that some people sometimes find so obscure that they completely skip over it. Um, but where is there a call to action for, for us um, in our understanding of this passage? One that jumps off for me right away is that we have this calling um, to also embody this kind of light, uh, the light of God's goodness 
in the world, in creation. I can't help, as you were just talking about the temple, think about how the very first temple that the Bible describes being created in Genesis 1 is creation itself. And uh, God creates this, this temple called creation. And then God places their image bearers, humans, in the temple of creation to represent God in the world. And I, I think that there's this, this connection. I, I love in, in Matthew's gospel, specifically, where Jesus goes, you're the light of the world. As if to say, you're going to be tempted um, to think I'm the delight of the world, and I am, but also you. Mm. And so I think there's this call to take up our rightful, our, our um, maybe God's dream role for us in creation, which is to be God's representatives and stewards of the good world that God made. Mm. To listen for God in the clouds and in the, uh, on the mountaintops and in the valleys and in the, the moments of life. Um, to really pay attention and then embody. One area where I see action for the church is to break out of the temples that we've constructed around our worship of God. And those are both physical temples, but also the ways of doing church that have trapped us inside. I'm such a fan of the Church of the Wild movement and the ways that there are way more people starting to think about how we can not just worship in creation, but listen, right? Like you were saying, Josh, listen to the voice of God as it's revealed through creation. And, you know, that's not to say that that has to be every week of, of a church, but no, I, I guarantee you almost every church is going to have people who will experience God in a new and fresh way by going out once a month or once a quarter and instead of listening to a sermon from someone standing up in a pulpit going out and listening to the sermon from the trees and from the mountain and from the cloud and then coming back together and, and sharing that with each other. Hmm. So I'm, I'm preaching through the gospel of Mark right now. Um, on Sundays, uh, it's my Mark's my favorite. I have such a crush on the Gospel of Mark, and this coming Sunday, I'm in Chapter Four, where Jesus is. Um, it's the Mark's parables, right? And I just love every single one of them are agricultural. They're all about seeds, mm-hmm. um, and there's just something brilliant and profound about that. That when Jesus, um, we we tend to want to use metaphors of construction, right? building things in creation that are not necessarily. And yet when Jesus wants to describe what God's kingdom is like, Jesus chooses to go, well, have you seen what a mustard seed does? <laughs> have you seen how, have you ever watched a farmer go and sow some seed? And there's just something beautiful about that, that even in the way Jesus taught, where does Jesus do a lot of his teaching in the gospel? On the, by the lake, hmm. um, on a boat, fishing, um, on a beach, out in the fields where people are growing food. I just, so much of it is so creation-centric. We just haven't paid attention to those details. And when you begin to see them, when you get really good questions like Derek asks, then you end up going, oh my gosh, how did, I've left a lot of good sermon material on the cutting room floor that I didn't even know existed, right? 
Yeah. Well, and the the Wendell Berry quote, which you all may know of, the Bible's best read outdoors, mm. is so appropriate here too, right? It just makes sense, like you're saying, Josh. It makes sense when we read it alongside nature instead of from our desk, surrounded yeah. by books instead of trees. Yeah. I I think there's there's another aspect here of maybe two of of this calling piece one is um i think the church is being called to move um not not just to move outside and and avery i 100 agree with you that like there's a there's a call here to move outside of our our structures and the things that we've built but i think there's a call to just just move that like we can't stay in one place like the whole the whole you know the repetition of the gospel is is jesus saying follow me and the idea then is that jesus is going to be moving um and that there is a movement you know from the top up the mountain and there's a movement down the mountain and i think our, our faith is so stationary like western christianity is so very stationary um we we, we want to stay in one place and god is god is motion and i think about that with so much cre- of creation is is motion it's movement um and i and so I, I i see this 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 call to not just be the church stuck in one place, but to be a church that is dynamic. That's not, um, it's not static, but it's dynamic. But I also, you know, as I think about the ways that I have, I have heard this story preached in the past, it's the idea of going from the glorious thing that's on the top of the mountain down you have to you you can't stay there you have to go back down to the mundane that's at the bottom of the mountain you know and what if part of the call though here is for us to experience the glory on the top of the mountain so that josh to your point that we're then paying attention to the glory and the beauty that's at the bottom of the mountain that like things don't stop being glorious and wondrous and 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 miraculous when we get to the bottom of the mountain there is still beauty to be found everywhere there is still goodness to be found everywhere there is still inspiration to be found everywhere and like yeah let's look for it at the top of the mountain but let's look for it at the bottom of the mountain in the town with the people in in the fields you know um, yeah. I, I feel like part of the call to creation is like, look for God on the top of the mountain. Don't stop looking for God once you've, once you've descended. Yeah. It's almost like those experiences on the mountain are intended to, to be sort of like, Hey, okay. You know what you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Pay attention. You know what you're looking for? Go find it. And, you know, in, in my own life, I, I think some of the most meaningful experiences I've had um, have come in the most mundane and unexpected moments. And it always surprises me. 
and, uh, and you know, we're, we're in this moment right now where um, creation is sort of in this wrestling match between the, the icy grip of winter and the new life that spring is going to bring. But every season, even, even winter, where it's cold and dead and there's stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Creation is alive, even though it seems to be dead. And, and renewal is beginning. So it's sort of like just this invitation, exactly what you're saying, that the, the mountaintop experiences, the voices from the clouds, all those sorts of things are intended to prepare us and equip us to realize that the voice from the cloud is always speaking, um, just in different ways. And hopefully those experiences are a heart tune-up that help us prepare to have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are open in the everyday sorts of mundane, boring, where like actually where most of life is lived. Can we just give a shout out for ordinary time? Because <laughs> when you say ordinary time, it just sounds so dang boring that nobody would want to be a part of it. Like come to my ordinary time party. Um, it's the bulk of the year. It is the overwhelming majority of time, which should tell us something that we're not just meant to interact with God. Um, if it's high seasons and in in these key points, those key points are meant to inspire us to pay attention for God, to God in the ordinary moments as well. Yeah. Well, Josh, Avery, thank you so much for, um, yeah, wrestling with this text with me and um, helping us to think about how, how this, this text can enhance our, our love of creation and our journeys this during this not ordinary season of Lent. Um, but maybe inspire us as we do go into um, our ordinary lives. So, Josh Avery, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Josh. Good to be here. Thank you for joining us for the Green Lectionary Podcast. This episode was produced by Sprocket Wagner, and the music was provided by Christian McIver. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word with a good review. Leave us a comment to let us know how you've used the show in your ministry and how we can make it more useful for you. You can learn more about this and other programs of Creation Justice Ministries at creationjustice.org. Our story comes alive within these pages For every time and place throughout the ages God speaks and is heard and the enduring word calls us to care for our world as we share the love that can set creation free. Restoring the earth to wholeness, peace and harmony. Let the songs of the water, land, and sky resound Cause together we're all bound Within these pages There's always new life to be found